Hi, welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of the Pictures Out There podcast series with Lee Stewart and Dave Fogelman. Today is our special holiday episode called A Holiday Love Song to Love and Ideals. We hope you enjoy it. Happy Holidays. Thank you, Candy, as always, for that very kind introduction. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our holiday podcast. This is Dave. I'm going solo today. Lee will be rejoining us on the next podcast. So today's podcast we call A Holiday Love Song to Love and Our Ideals. It is the holidays. We've had our first snowfall here where Lee and I live, And we hope wherever you are and whenever you're listening to this that you're having a bit of holiday magic in your life going on right now. So the focus of our podcast today is going to be my reading a message that was delivered by my father called Love Takes Time. He delivered this message in 1964, and to me it seems just as timely as it was then. So, Love Takes Time. My dad was a minister in a Christian congregation when I was growing up for about four or five years, and this is the sermon that I remember the most that he gave. He was 35 when he delivered this. I was seven the first time I heard this message, and it has resonated with me throughout the years. My father was the minister of a thriving, good-sized Christian church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and he delivered this message in 1964. So, the story in the message of Love Takes Time, his message, it references Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. But amazingly, it ties our three pictures out there ideals together in a really beautiful way. The Good Samaritan story does, and my father's message does as well. Those three ideals are love first. We put love above all else, whatever our faith beliefs or religious or spiritual beliefs may be. We help each other. We receive help and we give help. And third is we're the same and we're unique. Common uniqueness, we also call it, where we value each person's uniqueness as well as understanding the connection that we have with all humanity. So for purposes of today and this podcast, I would ask you to think of the story of the Good Samaritan not as a biblical story or as a Christian story. But think of it as just a simple story about ideals. And while we listen to that story and then to the message from my dad, we can each reflect on our own choices for ideals that we each live by today. Are those the ideals that we would most like to live by tomorrow? And we can think about how our own individual sense of time and planning affects those choices that we make about our ideals and the degree that we actually live by them. Okay, so first, the story of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. 
who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So now I'm going to read my father's message, delivered on March 8, 1964. He was 35. I was 7 when I first heard this. Love takes time. Love is inconvenient. Love makes us susceptible to the needs of others. Love will get you into trouble. For example, note the Good Samaritan, who was good and who was a true neighbor precisely because he took the time to be truly loving to the wounded man on the Jericho Road. He put the wounded man on his own beast. Why do you think he had the beast with him? Why, to ride himself, of course. Now, he could have reasoned that after all the donkey was his and he had planned to ride it himself. He could have sent someone back for the poor fellow with a good deal more dispatch if he had hurriedly ridden on. Were the incident a true one, one can almost imagine that the priest and the Levite who hurried by might well have sent someone back for the poor beaten man. One great way to avoid the expression of, and therefore the troublesome, aspect of love is to turn the matter over to the proper authority. One supposes that the Samaritan was not well-versed in this modern maneuver or that he considered it and rejected it and took the time and effort to struggle with the inert form, hoisting it upon his own beast. Now imagine the inconvenience. The beaten man was no doubt unsightly, bloody, and naked. The Samaritan's person, his clothes, and his gear were soiled. It hardly seemed wise nor worth it. The man could have been left as bait. The robbers could have been near, hoping to double their loot by robbing some simple Samaritan who would stop to help. The man in the ditch perhaps deserved his fate. How could the Samaritan know? So many people act unwisely, which is to say, act in a way we would not act. Then they expect us to pick up the pieces. Careful people weigh each case of need so long that often the opportunity to express love is gone. Love is a nuisance. It demands personal initiative. Love gets its hands dirty, becomes involved. Love weighs not the worthiness of the person in need, knowing that need is need, worthy or not, and if worthiness were determined, who could pass the test? And love takes time. The fulcrum of this story, the turning point, is found in the three brief phrases in our first text. He saw him. He had compassion on him. He went to him. That is about the matter. All else is lost. He saw him. This is not as easy a matter as it might seem. Only the gifted ones really see people. The others look through them or around them or away from them. One of the modern translations translates the story 
of the Lord's healing of Peter's mother-in-law with the phrase, in one place, Jesus noticed her, that she was ill. Noticing people is the beginning of the expression of love. If we cannot see them, we cannot love them. We wear many blinders. Custom and habit help to keep these blinders in place. So many of our day-to-day relations are formal, and with business associates and the appropriate ways of interacting with such people break down in times of stress and emergency. If we persist in seeing people as client, yard man, secretary, or neighbor we don't know well, we can never see them as person in dire need. Our ears may be deafened to their cries for aid. Alertness, sensitivity to others, and a tender heart will help us to pick up personal distress signals. Then a simple and genuine, can I help you, is often enough to break the dam of reserve that may be holding back a flood of concern. The Samaritan had every reason not to see the man in distress, but miracle of miracles, he saw him. What is more, he had compassion on him. Compassion, literally the term means, was touched or wounded with pity. The English word used in translation, compassion, of course means to bear with or to suffer with actually another form of sympathy. Behavioral scientists often are inclined to identify the ability to sympathize or more technically to take the role of the other person as a sign of maturity. This raises the interesting speculation that we can correlate a person's ability to feel compassion with his level of maturity. It is the immature who cannot feel moved to tears, sorrow, or pity when another suffers personal loss, and it is the immature person who cannot rejoice when there is great joy in the life of another person. The Samaritan not only saw the distress of another, but was also moved by that distress. To be moved by another's distress, we know, is dangerous business, for this sympathy can lead to all sorts of involvement. How often we have reached this far and drawn back at being confronted with the demands of such a situation. We see the person in need, feel welling up within us a flood of concern, and then, scorched by the heat of the demands we instinctively know are there, draw back quickly to avoid entanglement. Who knows, the priest and Levite on the Jericho Road may well have felt sympathy and compassion after truly seeing the human need. Then they may have rudely and roughly crushed down this feeling and hurried on to busy themselves in order to erase the memory of the man they never helped. The crucial instant is following the feeling of compassion. At this instant, the Samaritan went to him. Went to him. Now the deed is done. Even though all the labor is ahead, the helper is committed to express love. His gesture of going to the injured man has put him on the roll of the fellowship of the truly concerned. It is truly frightening to remember how much of Jesus' time was spent in helping others and how we are called to the same ministry. It's almost dreadful to remember that the basis for judgment in more than one account of the final judgment is, what did you do to help people? To help the man, the Samaritan took a tremendous amount of time out of his life. He didn't count the cost. He did not stop to weigh the worth of the person receiving aid. The mystic Gibran commends those who give as freely as in yonder valley the myrtle breathes its fragrance into space. Through the hands of such as these, God speaks. 
and from behind their eyes he smiles upon the earth. You give but little when you give of your possessions. It's when you give of yourself that you truly give. Surely he who is worthy to receive his days and his nights is worthy of all else from you. And he who has deserved to drink from the ocean of life deserves to fill his cup from your little stream. Such giving of self takes time and is the truest expression of love to hurry the distressed and disturbed, the sick and wounded through our lives, greeting them superficially and cheerfully and shaking them off with a bright word as we move off to our own affairs is to make of oneself a merchant dealing with people as things rather than being a dedicated servant of the God who loves all men and who has called us to love them too. Many of the professions represented in this room exist to help persons. They must not become cases or briefs or situations to us. We must never be lulled into treating another's great need as merely routine. God help us if we do. Others' life situations are so contrived as to shield them from crises in others' lives so that when real need breaks out, of the neat white houses on our block or the facade of peace and the family next door shatters and there is a cry for help, we run for cover or call for help so that we can refer it to a professional. Professionals have no cover on love, concern, or help. Indeed, their resources in these areas are often depleted, and it's the ordinary person who often can help more than they know. Many of us who willingly render long-distance aid cannot bring ourselves to render aid right in our own family. Man and wife and children may live in the same house and avoid involvement with those nearest us, forgetting again that here, too, love takes time. It always interests me that Luke follows the Good Samaritan story with the incident at Mary and Martha's house. The Samaritan was a busy man. He was on the way somewhere to do something. Martha was a busy woman. Martha was a doer. Jesus said to her, Thou art careful and troubled about many things. This was a chiding word, and how it ought to chill us that it comes so near describing our lives. Martha did it, but she didn't like it. She complained to Jesus about lazy Mary who just sat at his feet adoringly. He said to Martha, One thing is lacking, and that one thing is love. We can do all our helping and our healing, our assisting and advising for selfish advantage. If anything is clear in the study of man's timeless quest for personal advantage, it is clear that we are able to twist the most benevolent of activities to the purpose of shameful self-aggrandizement. Martha's busy helpfulness, or the Samaritans for that matter, unless it springs from a loving heart, rings untrue. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What then, in summary, may we gain from this text? There is a progression. One must be open enough and sensitive, tender-hearted enough to see his brother's need. But the need of others is seldom seen as long as we are hypnotized and preoccupied with our own need. When we can see true need, Many rationalizations flood to our minds, suggesting to us why we should not get involved. Leave it to others better trained. Leave it to someone who is officially responsible. He made his bed. Let him lie in it. What will he do with help if I give it? Waste it? I would look a fool. No one else is doing much to help. 
But if we can see need and can surmount the rationalization, realizing that it is seldom wrong to render aid, then compassion and sympathy come into play. We are moved. Then we intelligently and quickly move to do what we are able to do, practical and imaginative things. Love takes time. Love costs effort. Love gets its hands dirty. Love ruins careful schedules. Love gets involved. Love does not neglect wife, husband, or child near at hand, nor stranger or casual acquaintance in need. Love is sensitive, alert, and tender-hearted. But most of all, I suppose, love takes time. Okay, that's my father's message. I hope you enjoyed that. Let's talk about the display of the three pictures out there ideals in the story and the message. Love first. Believe you got that one. Help. The story of the Good Samaritan and my father's message is largely about help. We're the same and we're unique. We're all worthy human beings, all of us. We're the same, we're connected. And we're unique. We each have unique individual identities, worth, and power. And we all have, each of us, a unique ability to love and help others. So, when do we unexpectedly interrupt our plans to show love or to help someone or to show our common humanity to other groups of people or to recognize the uniqueness of someone else and their circumstances, even a stranger? Something for us all to reflect on, me included. When are we each too busy with our plans for the day to unexpectedly show someone love or to help someone or to hear a stranger's story? How often do we plan ahead to really have the time to help or to really see a stranger? Do we leave time for that or to hear their story or to love? Or are we just so booked up with our schedule that there's no time for those surprise opportunities. In the book pictures out there and in the podcast that we've done earlier on spirituality, we shared a picture of love first, where all people who believe that love is the most important tenet of their spiritual beliefs come together as one community with the united belief in loving every moment of every day in this life. So one might ask, how does love or the idea of love first relate to the question of whether or not We believe in a God. Understanding that our spiritual journey is a never-ending one, and I am certainly continuing to learn, and my journey is far from over and will probably never end, here's my answer to that question as of this moment about love and God. So for me, God is love. If I have a belief in a God, it is a belief in love. Who created love? How did love get here? Who created our souls? Our spirits? Love is primarily spiritual. It can be expressed physically, but love is not a physical thing. Yet we typically personify God in our religions. Is a personification required for us to completely believe in the spiritual manifestation of love or of God? When I say that I believe in love, and the question of God is of much less import to me than that belief in love, 
though it is really interesting to discuss and contemplate, I'm fully satisfied with that belief. Love is my purely spiritual answer to the question of what I believe in and what I want to guide my life. What more is there than love to live your best life in this life? The potential danger in focusing too much on a quasi-personification or a full personification of God can be that we make the question of, is there a God, a quasi-physical one or a physical one, unintended or not. If we start sliding toward a personified or physical view of God, that can then lead to caring about the physical too much in our own world, in my mind, and in our own lives. That can then lead to valuing different people by their physical traits, or worse, to prejudice, bias, and caste systems. For me, it's less a question of whether or not a god exists, the way that question is typically asked. For me, that question is just less important when compared with the spiritual belief in love or love first, and whether we have that belief and use it to guide our lives. And if there is a personified God, who or what made them? And suppose another God made that God who made them. It becomes an endless, although very interesting, speculation. It's interesting to explore, but it cannot be definitively answered in this life. And all the while, all this time we're living, We have love. It's right there, every moment, waiting for us. Love, which is our every answer in our daily lives. How to act, how to react, how to feel, how to think, how to behave, how to change, how to grow. So while the very, very interesting debate continues about God, we can love first. Love as well as you can while learning, growing, and exploring all aspects of our true spiritual selves in this physical experience of living in this world. So, here in this holiday podcast, maybe it's all pretty simple. Love first. Help each other. Live in the spirit that we're the same. We're all worthy human beings. And live in the spirit that we're unique. We each have unique individual identities, worth, and power. And remember, love does indeed take time. We hope you guys have a wonderful holiday, everybody that's listening. Again, wherever you may be, whatever circumstance that you're listening to this, we hope there is this magical spirit of the holidays that is shining bright in your life right now. Happy holidays to each and every one of you. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures.